We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like y'all to look at Isaiah in chapter uh, 42. You might be saying, why are we going to be looking in Isaiah? Well, if you hadn't noticed, uh, spring is coming, and that means Easter. You can tell it by two things, by the budding of the trees and Cracker Barrel. Okay, got all them rabbits everywhere. And so I, I always love, my favorite months are September, late September and early March. Late September, you start hearing the Christmas carols start, okay? You hear, as soon as I hear, chestnuts, Johnny Mathis, all right? It's time. And in March, uh, you start getting ready for Easter, the Lenten season, because you're celebrating the, uh, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ. So much of our culture has always, you know, been centered on those ideas. And so in the book of Isaiah, you have what are called the songs of the servant. They are four chapters, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah uh, 53. And they are the songs of, did I say the servant? I'd say the songs of the servant. And they are anticipations by the prophet in 700 BC plus that someone is coming. All right. The, the, the prophets of Israel prior to Amos and Hosea in the north, and at the same time, Micah and Isaiah to the south. If you ever take Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah and read the initial um, verse, it'll always identify when the book was written. And they're all in the reign of, about the reign of Jeroboam II, which was the, um, uh, the, the northern king that had become so wicked that God was now to, to, about to remove the north. And the, in the uh, south, you had King Ahaz. And so the, the prophets will always, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, right at the same time. They're called the Ami prophets. Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah. A-H-M-I, Ami. Because judgment is coming. And up until those men, the prophets were all speaking prophets. Elijah, Elisha, Samuel. And so you don't have, uh, the book of Samuel isn't really the book Samuel wrote his book about Samuel. And so you don't have written material from the prophets. But as Israel is getting ready to go into exile in the north by the Assyrians in 722 and in the south by the Babylonians in 586, they're about to go into exile. So God has prophets that write down so that you can read and remember what was told you. There's gonna need to be a record by God to a nation that is now going through judgment. They need to have a Bible study. And the reason, according to Mr. John Calvin, that you have in Isaiah, now, I, Mike, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah are your first guys. They're like a tsunami, a wall of truth that hits Israel when they look up and they're out of the land, which they are, that they can now open the scroll and go, aha, because the prophets will always tell you that sin is abounding. Then they will tell you 
uh, and warn you about what's coming. And then they would call you to repentance and it'll describe to you what repentance is. It's not just killing of a bunch of animals and sacrifice. It's the slaying of your heart and obedience. And then uh, it will give you ultimate hope. Hope that you're gonna return someday and both Micah and Isaiah say to the Southern Kingdom, you're gonna come back. But then it will give you ultimate hope. You know what the ultimate hope of Israel is? Messiah. And so it will give you messianic prophecy. And so Isaiah gives you really all these prophets, the first written accounts by God to be held accountable to what he's going to do of the coming of the Messiah. And John Calvin said, it was so good. If you look at Isaiah 41, that's right before Isaiah 42 and the first song of Messiah, song of the servant, he will say to the um, pagan deities in chapter 41, verse 22, set forth your case, says the Lord, bring forth your proofs. Let them bring them and tell us what is about to happen. Tell us of the former things, what they are, that we may consider that we may know their outcome. He dares all the pagan deities and prophets to foretell the future because they can't. And then he will say in verse 25 of chapter 41, I stirred up one from the north, Cyrus of Persia, that was gonna come remove the Babylonians and Cyrus would send Israel back to the land. I stirred up one from the north, from the rising of the sun, he'll call upon my name and trample on rulers. And so in verse 26, who declared it from the beginning that we might know? No other God told you what is going to happen. All right. Y'all remember from Deuteronomy 13, what is the test? No. Deuteronomy 18, what is the test of an Old Testament prophet? It has to come true. There's no prophet training program in Israel. You die if you're a phony. Okay. And so God is in chapter 41 saying, I'm telling you right now that you're going to return someday. Trust me. And as a encouragement that his word is true, God now tells you of a greater deliverance. And that deliverance is the deliverance of the nation from sin and the world from sin by the servant of God, the Messiah. As Calvin said, if God can do the greater, can he not be trusted in for the lesser? Can you trust God with your finances? Your kids, can you trust him with your eternal soul? Yes, then you can trust him with these lesser things. And so that's why you have the servant songs. They're very practical. And so here is your first one. We're gonna be here till four o'clock. So uh, call home and tell them you won't be here. Now, we, get, we got out on time. In verse 42, are you with me so far? He says, Isaiah says, behold, or rather God says, behold. Behold means that all eyes are upon this man. I want you to look at him. Paul will say to the Corinthians, as many are the promises of God, in Christ they are yes. Is there another fellow in the Bible named Pilate 
who takes Jesus and says, behold your king, behold the man. God said it first, look at him, just look at him. The glory of God, Paul said, is in the face of Christ. Look at him. Behold, and he's called my servant. That means an official representative. Like Moses is called the servant of God, who alone is faithful. Joshua was God's servant. This one is an official representation of God. Um, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son in the bosom of the father, he's explained him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And so behold my servant. He's the one whom I uphold. Some of you may have a Bible that says the one whom I lean upon. It can either be active or passive. That this is the one that all of my hopes are in. All of my salvation is going to be in this singular Jew. And so, a matter of fact, Paul would say to the Romans, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. To the Jew, he shows you that God is faithful to his word. To the Gentile, God may made no promises to us, but God has been merciful. Amen. And so uh, he says, this is my servant that I uphold, that I lean upon. All of my promises are in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by him and him alone. And he is my chosen one. He's a unique person. Of all those in the world, God doesn't have salvation by a committee, okay? He doesn't take a bunch of guys. He takes one guy. He is my chosen one. Another way you could speak of him is as the anointed one. You know what the word anointed is in Hebrew? Messiah. In Greek, it is Christ, Christos. And so this is my chosen one. And he's chosen because my soul delights in him. You remember a, pre, a king that it said that he was a man after God's own heart? Who are we talking about? David. This is the Davidic king. Uh, matter of fact, there is a verse where this is quoted by God. This is my beloved son, and in him I am well pleased. God memorizes scripture. Write that down, Debbie. And he did. He knew his own word. All right. And so he says, I have put my spirit on him. Prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament were anointed by God as a symbol that the Spirit of God was going to aid them. Christ is the final prophet of God, the Word of God. He is the ultimate priest of God who sacrifices himself, and he is the ultimate Davidic king, okay? With Christ, the Old Testament prophets, I'm sorry, the Old Testament priest and the Old Testament kings will cease because he's the last one, our king and our priest. And so I've put my spirit upon him. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what then took place? Spirit descended like a dove, Isaiah 42. This is him. And he will bring forth justice, not just to Israel, but to the nations. Now, as a Jew understood that, 
He wasn't thinking about the mystery of the church that had yet to be revealed. He's thinking this is the guy that someday, how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise. This is the one that shall put Satan underneath his feet as the uh, seed of woman that will crush the serpent's head. And so when he says he will bring forth justice to the nations, then in Christ, men will beat their swords and plowshares, their spears and pruning hooks. They will study war no more, that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. And so he is gonna, we would say, fix it. He's gonna fix it, this person. And in verse two, he is not the kind of king you would imagine. This is not going to be Napoleon or Stalin or Karl Marx or Chairman Mao or Voltaire or Fidel Castro. This is not gonna be a rabble rouser, all right? We're not gonna have the storming of the Bastille or we're not gonna have the revolt, the October Revolution with this fellow. That's normally how you get a king is you kill everybody, okay? In verse two, he will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. He will not impose his will. He will call the nation to believe in him. And in verse three, uh, he's gonna be merciful. A bruised reed he will not break. A reed was thought of in those days as the standard, like a yardstick. Whenever they made fun of Christ at his trial, they put a reed in his hand and a crown of thorns on his head to mock him as the upright ruler. And so a bruised reed, a reed, once it gets broken in half, it just flops down and it's no use to anybody. Human beings are bruised reeds. Standards of what we thought truth was, but we got broken, amen? Can you think back upon things that you have done that you are embarrassed about? I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you are. No, don't. We all, we're embarrassed about them. But a bruised reed, a broken man that comes to him, he will take him. And a smoldering wick, when your light is going out and you found out that you are not strong, you're not brilliant, and you're nothing but you're a smoking wick, he will not cast that person out. We look down on somebody that does not seem to be wise or not seem to be strong and upright. Christ says, I'll take him. That the people that he saves are rescue dogs. Write that down. We're rescue dogs. We're hurt people. Amen. We're beaten people. And so a bruised reed, a dimly wick, dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish but he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse one, he'll bring forth justice. Verse three, he'll bring forth justice. But in verse four, something odd, he will not be disheartened or crushed. This king is not going to be initially received. He's not going to be the king that Israel wanted. I had a Jewish guy say to me in Jerusalem, he said, if he's the king, where is the kingdom? I thought we we're gonna have the lion down with the lamb and the, the world study of war no more. I don't see that happening. Well, Israel rejected him. He was not the king that they wanted. He was not, remember the disciples said, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the time that's fixed by the Father's authority. You go be my witnesses and tell everybody I died and rose. 
And so initially he is the lamb. And then in Revelation, he shows up as the lion. He's the lamb and the lion. And so he will not be disheartened or crushed. They're going to reject this man. And when he dies, nobody will be there around him. But he will not be disheartened until he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands. To a Jew, the coastlands means off the Mediterranean. It means you're not in Israel anymore. You're in the outermost parts of the earth. You're in Cyprus. You're in Crete. You're in Malta. Do y'all know a fellow in the Bible that went to Cyprus and Crete and Malta? The Apostle Paul. And then he ultimately came to Rome, to Spain, and to Beaufort, South Carolina. Okay. He went to the ends of the earth. And so what you have prophesied right here is the coming of Christ, his baptism, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, and the gospel goes out to all of the earth. And so the coastlands will make, will wait expectantly for his law. Moses would say, Ray, back in the book of Deuteronomy, looking at the fact that Israel would reject him. And he says in, I guess it was about 1400 BC. And God says of Israel, I will make you jealous by those which are not a people and by a foolish nation will I anger you. If you don't want me, I'm going to go to a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Who are the idiots? Yes, I'm going to read it. We're going to call ourselves idiot Bible. Okay. <laughs> we are idiot. The word idiot in Greek means unskilled to where you ain't going to make it in life. And we are, we are idiot Bible. Welcome to Denton Bible. This is your first Sunday right here. Welcome to the idiots. Okay. And so someday all the world after his rejection is going to look to him. Now there's something you might understand here. In the, whenever I was in seminary, I had a class called Christology by Dr. Robert Leitner. And he taught us through the book of Matthew. The kingdom was offered. The kingdom was rejected. The kingdom was postponed, given to the Gentiles. Then the kingdom will return to Israel. It's the book of Matthew. And he said that Matthew 12 was the pivot in the ministry of Christ. Whenever they heard his preaching, they saw his miracles, and the only thing they could say was, he does them by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, time out. There is no sacrifice for blasphemy. You as a nation have got the coup de grace you have committed the unforgivable that you have to die. And so in a sense, spiritually they died. And God now in chapter 12, which is where that occurred, turns. And now he goes in chapter 13 and following to the Gentiles because Israel had been set aside. And that was called the pivot. And what we then look at is that Christ talks about the church as being not the kingdom of God, as the Jews would have understood, but what he called, quote unquote, a mystery of the kingdom, something the Old Testament didn't entail. It's a new thing in the earth. The kingdom of God is not fully here, but there is a people that are a manifestation of that kingdom. It's not that we have replaced Israel, but we have been, quote unquote, grafted contrary to nature, into the root of Israel. We have, and I quote Paul, 
we have shared in Israel's spiritual things. We are not Jews, predominantly. Some are here, but we're not Jews. But do we share in a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish Bible, a Jewish new covenant of the law in our heart? Do we look forward to the second coming of a great Jew? Yeah, we share in Israel's spiritual things. And so it's like there's this between the cross and the return, there's this valley that you don't see in the Old Testament, like two mountains that are right next to each other. They look like they're right next, but there's a valley in between them. And once you get to the cross, you see, ah, we're going to reach out to the world and there's going to be an amnesty granted to mankind of patience that he can come. How long has that amnesty been? 20 centuries now. And so we are a, we're not the kingdom, but we are a foretaste of glory divine. You ever seen that? This is my, what is it? This is my story. This is my song. We're a foretaste of glory. And so what it is, is that the world now, hypothetically, in their brokenness, can walk into this place in any Christian church and they can see a peep into the kingdom. They can see time travel. They can see sinners that are new. They can see rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, males, females, all sitting together, singing together about a common savior, Jesus Christ. And they can look at our lives. And even though there may be perversion all around them, what heaven binds, it is bound in those people. What heaven looses is loosed in those people. So they can get a foretaste. They can stop and just look. I remember one time I visited with a guy from TCU and Kent Marshall, a quarterback. And I said, you know, we got a guy in our church named Mike Pulatty. Pulatty, are you here? Okay. Huh? First service. Go get him. Okay. Bring him. I discipled Mike Pulatty. And I told the guy, I said, yeah, we got a guy from TCU, an offensive lineman named Mike Pulatty. He went, Mike Pulatty is in a church? He said, willingly? I said, yeah. He said, the last time I saw Mike Pulatty was at a TCU hazing. And he said he was in a jockstrap with a Tarzan deal across his chest. He was beating me with a wiffle ball bat after covering me in shaving cream. And I said, yeah, that, that's Mike. <laughs> he said, he is a Christian. Yeah, he's one of our Bible study leaders. And Kent Marshall goes, there is a God. <laughs> that's what you're meant to do. Could we do that with a lot of your high school buddies? If we brought them in here to see you, there is a God. And so that is what the church is meant to be. We're like a rescue station going. He's real. He's real. He's coming. He's coming. We're like Noah. You better get in here. Okay. So from Romans to Jude is this valley in between the coming, the first and second comings of Christ, the mystery of the kingdom. It's not replacement theology. It's the anticipation. It's called being grafted contrary to nature into the rich root of the olive tree. You know what that means? Whenever you graft something into a tree, you always take the branch that you want 
and you graft it into the native trunk that is so durable and the natural uh, ingredients of the trunk will go into that limb and you will get a desired tree. So you put the good branch into a bad trunk. Uh, you ever eat a Texas pecan? It's like eating a ball bearing, okay? Like a wing nut. But what we do is we go take them Corsicana soft shell pecans and we'll take, we'll cut them off and you gotta have some sense not to do this. You cut them off at a certain time and then you'll take a Texas native pecan tree that produces wing nuts, okay? I mean, you see a lot of cussing squirrels that have broken their teeth <laughs> on the Texas pecan. And you take this native Corsicana soft shell and you put it in on top of that Texas hardy pecan. And now the nutrients go up, but they show itself in good fruit. On our property, my wife and I have about 20 pecan trees. And once we cleared the land, we saw there was a big ring around them going up. And I said, what is that? And a fella in the know said they were transplanted. That was a pecan orchard. And so they brought in a Corsicana. Uh, you ever heard of Collins Street Bakery where all the pecans in the world go? And you, he said they would take a soft shell and graft it into the Texas pecan. Paul said, not in our case. We didn't take a good branch <laughs> and put it on a bad tree. You were, quote, grafted contrary to nature in a cultivated olive tree. The cultivated olive tree with the promises of God to Israel about Messiah. And we took, oh, nasty you, and we put you in. And normally, you would have the good tree give rise to wingnuts. But we don't. We get good fruit from, uh, we're contrary to nature. We get the fruit of God. It's like we're born again. You dig? So, I don't know what that's got to do with Isaiah. <laughs> that's it. And so God says, he, the Messiah is going to be rejected but I'm going to the coastlands. Is that true now or is that true then? Both. And that's why in Matthew 12, when Matthew talks about the kingdom that is now extended to the Gentiles, guess what text he quotes to prove it? You just read it. Matthew 12, uh, I wrote it down, 18 through 21. He's now going to the Gentiles. Isn't that neat? God knew you in 700 BC, he knew who you were. And so in verse five, God says, he says, I swear to you, I'm gonna do this. And here's why I'm gonna go to the entire world. Israel is not just a, what's my word? A depository of truth to keep it to themselves. They're meant to be a disseminator of truth. They forgot that. They forgot it and they spurned the Gentiles and they hoarded their truth. Verse five, I created, God created the heavens, the earth, its offspring. Question, who's the offspring? 
Chinese guys, Hispanic guys, Vikings, Germans, I made them. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. They don't have their own native gods. They have native lies. I made them. And so he gives breath to the people, to the spirit, to those who walk. I will not share my, people, or the, my creation with pantheism, with communism, with Buddhism. I will not share my people with that lie. And so he says, I made them. In verse six, he talks to the Messiah. I am the Lord and I've called you in righteousness. I summoned you for a righteous purpose. You're gonna restore my creation back to me. We're gonna pull down speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. And then we're gonna take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm gonna bring the world back to me. And so I am the Lord. I called you for a righteous purpose. So I'm gonna hold you by the hand and watch over you. I'm going to make certain that you succeed. And I will then appoint you as a covenant to the people. Who are the people? The Jews. Christ is going to establish the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the one that I gave you when you were children, the rules. I'm gonna put my law in your heart and on your mind, I'll write it. And I'll be your father and you'll be my people. You're gonna be obedient to me. That's the new covenant. Israel someday is gonna be under that. Today, he has shared that with somebody else to give proof to the world of Israel's God. Who's the somebody else? Where I'm looking at him. You ever heard my story about in Texas, Texas high school football, you have athletes that are the best, they're the blue chips. And then you have athletes that are called cow chips. The blue chips are the guys that everybody in the world wants. Miami wants them, Florida State wants them, Michigan wants them, and then there's the cow chips. I had, an, I had an offer from Navarro Junior College, okay? Don't email me if you went to Navarro Junior College. But uh, I was a count chip, okay? If you get a blue chip athlete that gets full of himself and won't play, gets smart with the coach, what do you do? You sit him down. And then who do you put in his place? Cow chip. And that cow chip, he listens to the coach and he will be obedient what nation was the blue chip nation? Israel. Guess what y'all are? We're going to begin a new church in South Denton. Cow chip Bible. Let's come to cow chip. Okay. If this is your first Sunday, we welcome you to Denton Bible Church. Okay. What did he call me, Daddy? Never mind. And so I'm the Lord. I called you in righteousness. I'm going to hold you and I'm going to appoint you as a covenant. Last Supper. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to send you to the Jewish people. Who does Paul go to preach to? He goes to the who first? Jew first. Then to the Greek, to let everybody know I'm not starting a new religion. This is consistent Judaism. If David were here, he'd be a Christian. If Adam was here, he'd be a Christian. 
If Abraham was here, he'd be a Christian. And so he's going to be a covenant to the people, but then he's going to be a light to the nations. He's not going to be a covenant to the nations. Buddy, did God make any promises to us Gentiles personally about saving us? To America? He make any promises to America? No, he didn't. He made him to Israel. But he cannot just be a covenant to Israel. I'll be a light to you guys. It's a terrible thing to be in the dark, isn't it? Not to know who you are, where you came from, what's right, what's wrong. And whenever you're in the dark, you have no idea who God is, your innate passions are going to run loose. So where you have an ignorant people, you're going to have a violent people, an immoral people, a perverse people, a thieving people, a stealing people, an adulterous, a pornographic people. You're going to have blind guys in prison to their own lust. Well, I'm going to make you a light to the nation. In him was life and his life was the light of men. Are y'all glad that God opened your eyes? Me too. And I'm going to open blind eyes and bring out prisoners from the dungeon. That's how the Bible sees lost men in a lost world. The book of Revelation looks at the final eradication of this thing called Babylon, confusion. And it, he, he says that he likens it to a prison of every hateful and, what's he call it? Every hateful and evil bird. An unclean bird was one that was a vulture that would pick the dead clean. And that is what, in Revelation 18, God calls the world. It is a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. One of the guys on staff one time shared, and I was talking on this, and he said, can I give you an illustration? Worst illustration I've ever heard. I'm going to tell you. He said, I watched, I saw this possum on the road, and he got run over on, on his hind quarters. It crushed his legs. And he was trying to crawl, but this vulture came down. And this other vulture, and pretty soon there were like six of them. And this possum tried to crawl away from him and a buzzard would grab him and pull him back so they could eat him alive. That's how God sees the world. How many of you have family or friends that are being eaten alive right now by sin and Satan, like the garrison demoniac? And so God says, I'm gonna open your eyes and then I'm gonna take you out from prison. He that the sun sets free is free indeed. And then in verse eight, I'm gonna do it because I'm the Lord, that's my name. I'll not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. No false God is gonna fix this thing. No political ideology is gonna fix this thing. No political candidate is gonna fix this thing. No human king is gonna fix this thing. No Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Zoroastrianism, no ichism and spasm is going to fix this thing. God says, I'm the only one that's going to fix this thing. Amen. When you watch the news, do you ever hear the word righteousness, sin, holiness, and Christ? If they do, they will be yanked off. I got a good buddy that was an ESPN guy. He made a statement about his belief in biblical morality. He was gone the next week. And so 
God says, nobody else is going to fix this. Man is in the dark and he keeps looking for stuff to fix this, but it's not going to work. And that's why there's a group of people in each country that are fixed. And that's called the Christian. Ideally, they're fixed. In verse nine, former things came to pass. When I promised things to Abraham and to Moses, did they come to pass? Yes, sir, they did. Well, I declare new things. What's the new thing? The coming of Messiah. I'm telling you something that has never occurred. Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna reach out to the Gentile world. No one's ever said that. And he said, before they spring forth, that word spring, I am told by the guys that know in the Hebrew, it means just what it says. It's like springtime. Life is gonna come up from the dead. We will take a seed called the body of Christ and we will bury it in the dark. And in three days, he'll come forth. There's gonna be life from the dead. Before they spring forth, I'm proclaiming it. I'm telling it right now so that when it happens, when you read the New Testament and go back and cross-reference, you'll know that God said this would happen. We used to sing at Campus Crusade, our Lord, he done, done it, done, done, what he said he'd do. We were spiritual, but we were not literate, okay? And he, we said, God did what God said he would do. And so, in verse 10, because you have new things and new life, in verse 10, what should you sing? New song. That means that these people are not gonna sing from the Psalms merely. They're gonna sing from Augusta's top lady. They're gonna sing from uh, William Cooper, there is a fountain filled with blood, from John Newton, amazing grace, from Charles Wesley, uh, crown him the Lord of all. They're gonna sing new songs written by Germans and Englishmen and Welshmen and Africans and, and Hispanics. They're gonna sing in their language. Incidentally, at the birth of the church at uh, Pentecost, what miracles did you see? You saw a mighty wind, you saw flames of fire, and then you heard something, all different tongues. And they were speaking the great things of God from the Old Testament, connecting them to the new. And they were done in all different languages. The Savior has come. And so in verse 10, sing his praise to the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and then head off. Incidentally, is there a time in the Bible that you saw a guy in a ship full of criminals heading to justice and a storm hit and he took them through it and they all came to believe in him. Who was the guy? Paul, Acts 27, going down to the sea. And you islands, those who dwell on them, you know what that would be to a Jew? It would be America where you go out so far that you are at the ends of the earth. And in verse 11, the wilderness and the cities, that's Paris and London and Beijing and whatever, and the settlements of Kedar, that's an Arab tribe. The inhabitants of Selah, they sing aloud and they shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Did you ever sing this song? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Where did uh, they get that? 
I got it right here. And you give glory to the Lord and you declare his praise. The Hebrew word for coastlands is the word denton. Did you know that? I lied. I lied. But you'll remember that lie, okay? Declare his praise. I mean, whenever Isaiah gave this prophecy, what do you think, you know, central Texas looked like? North Texas. It was just windswept. Here we are. And you can find, you can go across the street. You can go down this way, go out that way. You'll find churches filled with people uh, in some way singing the glory of God. Because in verse 13, here's what they're going to sing about is the victory of God. There is victory in Jesus. The Lord will go forth like a warrior, arouse zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout and raise a war cry and he will prevail. When did this happen? Well, Jesus said, I have come into the strong man's house. I have taken away his armor, slapped him naked and hid his clothes. I have taken away his armor, and now I am plundering his possessions. Who was the strong man against which no one could challenge? Satan. Who was the one stronger that came into his house? Jesus. When was it that he removed all of his armor when he died and rose from the dead? Who is the plunder that Christ is taking away from Satan and giving new life? Look around. It's us. Isn't that something? God knew you in 700 BC. And so, and incidentally, this is going to happen again someday when Christ finishes the deal and he shows up at the plain of Megiddo. And then every knee shall bow. In verse 14, I have kept silent for a long time. And he has for 20 centuries. I've kept still and restrained myself. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, Peter said, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Are y'all glad that God is patient? What would you have done if he had judged sin finally and completely 35 years ago? How many of y'all would have been toast? But he is patient. But someday, like a woman in labor, I will groan, gasp, and pant. Birth pains. You ladies, how many of you have had children? Debbie, did birth pains come on you very quickly? Very unexpectedly? Yeah, that's the way that the judgment of God will come in the book of Revelation. God says first to the church, come up here. And then he says to sin, come, go, and judge the world. Birth pangs. Debbie, don't they get faster and faster? Stronger and stronger? When do they end? When a child comes forth. And so the, t the tribulation period, you see seals, you see trumpets, you see bowls, and they get faster and faster and faster until chapter 19, when the heavens are opened and the Son of Man emerges. And so he says, I will gasp and pant. And in here in verse 15, here's the tribulation. I'll waste the mountains, hills, vegetation, the rivers, the ponds. Judgment is coming. Verse 16, and then I think this is speaking of Israel. Then I will take the blind by a way they don't know. Paths they don't know, I'll guide them. It's like we're gonna have a new exodus 
Uh, Israel is now gonna be brought into the land. Who is the final Moses that will take them home? Sounds like Jesus, starts with a J. <laughs> yes, he's gonna lead the nation back to the promised land. I am gonna make darkness into night. What was it that led Israel? A fire in the night. He's gonna lead them back. The rugged places in the plains. These are things I will do and I'll not leave them undone. Thy word will not return to thee void or empty. God said it and God's gonna do it. He's gonna come back and he's gonna fix his covenant people. Now we enjoy the blessings of Israel. We have not become them. We're not amillennial. We don't spiritualize all of these promises. They're gonna occur someday. See also Revelation. And in verse 17, they will be turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. God will show you no other God, no other ideology, philosophy, or whatever in all of creation can do what I'm about to do. And so in verse 18, he now speaks to the Jew. In his day, Isaiah speaks to him before judgment comes. This is what prophecy is meant to do. Hear you deaf and look you blind. Speaking to Israel, it was deaf to him and blind to him. We sing one of these in a hymn too, don't we? Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ, ye blind, behold, your Savior come. And leap, ye, ye lame, for joy. This is where Charles Wesley got it. And so, who is as blind but my servant, meaning Israel? They were called the sons of God. Out of Egypt did I call my sons. You were my servant, Israel. You were meant to tell the world but you didn't. I had to lay you aside and take Kendall Lucas, <laughs> Tom Nelson, Steve Poe. I had to take these Gentiles from Texas University. It's disgusting. Okay. <laughs> who is blind but my servant, Israel? Who is deaf but my messenger, Israel? Who is as blind as he that is peace with me. Israel could be reconciled to God through the, the promises that God gave. Who's as blind as the servant of the Lord? Ain't that sad? The, the, your, your blue chip, they're in the dark. That's why the biggest church in Israel, how big you think it is, these are the smartest guys in the world are the Jews. They really are. You know what the biggest church is? 300 people and they're mostly expatriates. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. They're under what is called the times of the Gentiles, from Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and then 70 AD, and they've been among the nations for 20 centuries. The times of the Gentiles is a 2,500 year period where the biblical material is no longer to the Jews, but to Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, us, amazing. And so he says in 20, 20, you've seen many things, you don't observe them. Your ears are open, but you don't hear me. And 21, here's what I gave you to listen to. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to make the law great and glorious. He says in Hosea, I gave you 10,000 edicts 
and they are regarded as a vain thing. I gave you a fullness of the corpus of truth and you turned away from it. He was pleased to make the law great and glorious. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus spoke to them the things concerning him and all the scriptures. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. Moses wrote of me. Until this day when Moses is read in the synagogue, a veil lies over their heart. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All of a sudden, you can understand your Bible. Well, verse 22 this people, the Jew, is plundered and despoiled and trapped in caves, hidden in prisons. They've become a prey with none to deliver them, spoil with none to say, give them back. Times of the Gentiles, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, 70 AD, and there is not a continent in the world that their blood has not been spilled on. And that terrible? In verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen? It's like he's talking to the Jew of his day. When are you guys going to figure it out? One of my good buddies became a Christian a while back, and he and his wife would read the Bible together. His wife had never read the Bible. He'd never read it. And they started reading through the Old Testament. And his wife just looked at him and said, when are they going to learn? <laughs> Amen. That's what Isaiah says. When are they going to learn? Why is it that we have probably had four Jewish guys in this church in the history, the 50-year history of Denton Bible? A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved when the Messiah comes from Zion and uh, removes sin from Jacob. You're going to have one nation under God at that time. But right now, and God says in 24, who do you think did this? Who gave Jacob up for spoil or Israel to plunderers? Was it not I, the Lord, against whom you sinned? And whose ways you were not willing to walk and whose law you did not obey? He said, Where do you th why do you think you're out of the land? Let me ask you, can God take one Jewish guy in fellowship with him and kill a nine foot six giant? He did it. Can he take a Samson with a jawbone of an ass and slay a thousand Philistines? He can do it. Can he take 186,000 Assyrians that wake up dead in the morning? That's, actually, that's just impossible. They all died in the morning and they're all gone. And now why would that nation be cast out of their natural habitat until 1948? There's no way. They are invincible whenever they're with God. They did something wrong. Primarily in 70 AD, something happened. I had a, uh, I used, when I would, years ago, back in the early 80s, I would go to a shell station and there was a Jewish guy there named Larry. And he, he loved to talk about religion. And so uh, he would come out and we'd sit and talk. And he was, he'd love to ask all kinds of questions, but he would be averse to Christ. He would be averse to Christ kind of like Miss Daisy, whenever her and Hoke were going over to her daughter-in-laws and she said, we don't observe Christmas. I'm going to give you this primer to teach you how to read. Now, this is not a Christmas gift. We don't observe Christmas. In no way am I going to be associated with Christ. And so he wouldn't think about converting, but we talked about it. And I asked him one time, I said, Larry, where are you from? He said, New Jersey. What are you down here for? 
studied in North Texas. Where'd you come for before New Jersey? What were you doing in New Jersey? Well, we came over from Russia. I said, what were y'all doing in Russia? I said, God didn't promise you Russia. What are you doing in Russia? Hubble. He said, I don't know. I said, you're not supposed to be out of the land. Isaac was not supposed to go down to Egypt. Why are you out of the land? The only reason you can be out of the land, you ever read Deuteronomy? What? Deuteronomy, never mind. Deuteronomy 28, the last of the punishments of God is that you're kicked out of the land. What are your guys doing in Russia? What are you doing in New Jersey? What are you doing then? I said, it started in 70 AD. You got kicked out by the Romans. And you got dispersed over all the world. As Jesus said, your house is being left to you desolate. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes. I said, you guys did something in 70 AD you shouldn't have done. I said, Larry, any idea what that was? None. I said, you killed the guy and you said his blood be on us and our children after you had found him innocent six times. And the only reason you kill him was for his claim that he was the son of God. And I said to him, if Christ wasn't the son of God, I said, and he said he was the son of God, what should y'all have done with him? You should have executed him as Elijah did to the prophets of Baal, right? As Elijah did to Jezebel, as Jehu did to the rebels and the followers of Baal. If Christ was not the son of God, Israel did a right thing. What should have happened? Blessing. What happened? Cursing. And I just looked at him. And he looked at me, and it was like he couldn't find it. I said, you guys killed the wrong guy. And you have never, ever repented. You've become successful in everything you've touched. German Jews, great in finance. Russian Jews, great in precious stones, furs, music, and stand-up comics. Sephardic Jews helped finance the American Revolution, led Columbus over here as a cartographer. They were like royalty. You guys, you, you dominate the Ivy League schools and professors. What did you do wrong? You're not in your land, but God's never let you been destroyed. I said, he brought you out under Moses. He wouldn't let him destroy him. He uh, brought you out under Babylon and he even brought you back in 1948. I said, you're like, you're like the ever-ready bunny. You just continue going. You did something wrong, and he couldn't see it. And so God says, who do you think kicked you out of the land? God always blesses his people when they're in faithfulness, but he didn't. And whose law they didn't obey. So 25, he poured out the heat of his anger, the fierceness of battle, and he set him aflame all around that's a hard way to do evangelism. When you set a circle of fire around a man and say, now run. There's nowhere to run. And God said, that's what I did to you. Did you ever get converted like this? Where God just set a fire around you and there was no place to run. 
He didn't recognize it. It burned him. You know, Israel has a day of infamy that is called the total burning. You know how you pronounce that? Holocaust. Holocaust, the total burning. There was an attempt by a man to do the genocide of Israel and he failed. God said, you haven't listened. So what does this text prophesy? And this text is prophesied 400 years before Alexander the Great is even thought of being born. It is 600 years before Julius Caesar ever thought of being born. Messiah is gonna come to Israel, but he will not come as the king they wanted. He's gonna come as a merciful king. He's gonna be rejected but he's not gonna lose heart. He's gonna go to a foolish people. He is going to enlighten them and he is going to free those who are enslaved by their own sin. And there's gonna be a silence after he does it. And then the silence is gonna be broken by birth pangs. Boom, they're on you. And then he will return and he will lead those people into the promise. And you just saw it in about 25 sentences. I think that's something. Father in heaven, as we go into this Easter season, this season of spring, Lenten season, we'll remember. Passover occurred in spring. The Lord's Supper in spring. The atonement in spring. Pass or the uh, Pentecost occurred in the spring. They sprung forth. Thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, we're like little kids on the top of Everest, looking around at things we have never thought of. I pray that we would be wise in the ways of God. And we would take our place to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth if we must suffer for the sake of righteousness, then we will. But we will do for you what the covenant people would not. That we might be a sign to the Jews to make them jealous. Thank you for your Bible, O Israel. Thank you for your Savior. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, O Israel. Thank you for your Davidic King. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for the promised forgiveness. Thank you for the fulfillment of the, of the shadows of the temple and of the law. Thank you for everything that you promised Israel that you gave to us. And I pray that people would walk in this door, they would do business with us and say, what manner of men are these? And as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they were amazed and then they realized that they had been with Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.